Welcome back to another episode of Sticky Note Conversations with Erica Washington. I'm so excited for you all to listen to the second half of my conversation with Will Black, our music producer. I hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoyed chatting with each other. You know, I've always wondered how many people, if they had a do-over, would they still uh, whoop their kids? You know, knowing better and knowing differently, I won't even say better, knowing differently, because I'll say that, um, you know, I spanked my children, at least my oldest and my middle one, maybe once or twice. I know I probably threatened her with a wooden spoon. She likes to bring that up sometimes. Um, But like my youngest, I didn't because I started to see things differently and it didn't really make sense to me and it wasn't actually helpful. And I started to realize like, okay, some things don't even, it's not even, it's not even working. It's not even doing the thing that I think I'm trying to do. Um, And so in the end, it feels like we're just trying to scare them into uh, submission and, you know, partially because we're scared of, you know, them doing something that's um, going to be detrimental to them or what have you. But I, I realized that, you know, if I had to do over, I would have never spanked any of my kids ever. Um, I think there are other ways and, and not to say that they, sh- you know, shouldn't be disciplined because kids should be disciplined. But I realized there were other things that I could do that, you know, would get to them more to understand that what they did was was wrong taking certain things away like my oldest when she was very little always wanted to wear dresses to school always wanted to wear every day wanted to wear a dress kindergarten had to wear a dress every day and I realized that when I made her wear pants that upset her a lot and so um when I forgot what she did. She did something and putting her on punishment. I told her you had to wear pants to school all week. Like that was a thing that like straightened it out. I don't want to wear pants and wear pants. Like it was, it was a thing that got her to understand what, that there were consequences to her behavior. And now you have to wear pants. And it sounds like the silliest thing, but it's a thing that worked. Um, But it was something different with my middle, something different with my youngest and what have you. But just, you know, all out, you know, whooping or spanking them wasn't going to be the thing. And so I look now at like, can we find alternatives? And people talk a lot about gentle parenting and and all of that. But I also see a lot, again, online and comments and they're like, you know, well, you know, it worked for us. We were whooped and we were beat or whatever. And, you know, you know, kids nowadays, that's just what they need. And that's why they're wilding out X, Y and Z. And I just don't think that that's true. And then how do we break that pattern of because I agree with you that, you know, I feel like it was learned behavior because that's how they kept our ancestors in submission was with these beatings and there has to be a different way I think that this definitely I know for me I don't I don't think that getting my ass beat helped me I think that maybe in some cases it may have stopped me from doing something 
in some cases, but for the most part, if I was going to do something, I was going to do it. Um, I think communication, understanding certain things that a lot of us as black parents don't like to or feel that we need to explain to our kids. You know, things like, I remember as a kid, you know, being taught like, don't, um, you know, you don't need to know how much I make or don't look at the bills or don't look at how much this costs or, you know, don't, if you touch that, then that means you got to pay for it, you know, stuff like that. And I think that had, but, but always told to save. You know, but don't really understand the concept of money or concept of how much anything costs. Right, right. Like for real, like not understanding. Like whoa, my mom was making maybe five, six dollars an hour, and I want these fifty dollars shoes. So she had to work ten hours. So be that she works eight hours a day. So she'd have to work you know, over a day for me to just get these shoes. Wow. And that don't even include the gas to go to the store. That doesn't include the taxes. That doesn't include the car. That doesn't include any of that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's I this... why that is, because I would say I probably was a little bit protective of, you know, my kids like asking too many questions about finances or whatever um, as an automatic like uh, just response. But, you know, not so much anymore. And certainly because they're older, but trying to get them to understand certain things. But why do you think we kept so many secrets or so many secrets were kept from us about just how the world worked, except for the scary parts. That's like, that'll be told to you. Like, don't do this. Don't do that. Police, whatever. Goes back to slavery. Goes back to slavery. Scare tactics. It was being taught to us. We've used them. They've worked. Because, hey, being afraid maybe kept you out of trouble, but it also mm-hmm. kept you from asking questions. It kept you from challenging things. It kept you from leaving your comfort zone. It kept you from leaving the hood. It kept you from from wanting to buy these shoes and spend this money to look good right now and not understanding the importance of maybe saving that money to do some things later on. It keeps you from, you know, making that extra drive to the grocery store and, you know, instead of stopping and picking up that chicken, it tastes good and it's quicker and it's easier and it's cheaper anyways. Not realizing that in the long run, when, you you know, you got high blood pressure and you got all this other stuff, well, it's not going to happen to me. But then again, it happens to all of us, so it's normal. So why not? I mean, that's what I see. <laughs> it's. I mean, I think it, it, it has stunted the critical thinking skills of folks too 
You say it, it's that's the critical thinking skills? Yeah, I think oh, they're yeah. yeah, I think mm-hmm. not asking questions and not or not being able to ask questions, not being able to challenge anything and being in those spaces where, you know, children should be seen and not heard and mm-hmm. staying out of grown folks' business, you know, there's no room for critical thinking. Exactly. And there's, there's no room to to challenge anything because if you're challenging then you're back talking. If you're back talking, you about to get your butt whooped. Because exactly. why are you questioning what I'm saying to you? Do as I say, not as I do, but just do as I say, and don't ask why. Okay, so I want to rewind just a little bit because speaking of critical thinking skills, we need to talk about Trump again. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> So after we had the conversation, okay, and you said black men can relate to Trump mm-hmm. because of a, a variety of reasons, mm-hmm. lo and befo- lo and behold, here comes Trump talking about black folks relating to him because of him being persecuted and having a mugshot and what have you, and you know we texted about it and laughed, but also what I saw online was a lot of um, chatter of, you know, I think I want to call them the political elites, but people who are very well in tune with politics who are just taken aback by Trump's comments and, you know, calling them racist and saying that there are so many other people that black people look up to, which is also true, you know, but they were naming folks like Mary McLeod Bethune and Harriet Tubman and Shirley Chisholm. And those are our heroes. Those are the people we look up to. We don't look up to Trump. We don't relate to him. And a lot of folks do look up to those historic figures. However, we're missing a point And so I just wanted to bring this conversation back real quick because my spidey senses and my gut is telling me that this is how we lose an election because obviously there are folks who relate to Trump. New York Times did a poll and about 22% of black people of this poll said that they would vote for Trump. So there is something there and I feel like we're ignoring it or we're being flippant about it. And I'm not sure how we how we fix that. People want to feel superior, but I also see this thing right now where everybody needs to feel like a victim at some point. You know, I mean, every that and that's Trump's whole thing is he's relating to everybody that feels like they've been had. The rich people that feel like they've been fucked over. The politicians that feel like they've been fucked over, the people that feel like the government's been fucking them over, the the now it's the system, you know how they how the court system. Now the whole thing is with this whole Fonnie Willis situation, and you see how a week later this whole thing is falling apart. If you've been paying attention, it's falling apart. And a lot of it's going to fall apart based on their credibility. And then you know it's about to happen. He's going to point. Now you can say, now you see, they need to change the whole judicial system and everything in Georgia. Georgia is that great state. 
that actually was a state that um, was huge in the part of him losing in the first place, correct? Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. You see how all of this plays out in the long run? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah, it's not good. It's not good. But ultimately, I feel like it all balances out and, and um, this is just a part of the grand scheme. You can't just focus on this moment. This These moments and these times are just a blip in history. I mean, think about it. What was it? Four years ago, we was going through COVID. We thought the world was about to end. We didn't forget about that. There was a point during that time where I thought people were going to be wearing masks and we'd never go, you'd never see buffets and people being out in the open or wanting to eat at a restaurant or anything. We forgot about that shit. Back to normal. <laughs> you know, that's how we are. Yeah. We'll adjust. So Yeah, and I think you are, you are right. And I think that that's the scary part is that as things that are acutely awful and scary that at some point we just sort of adjust to it mm. and then it becomes normal and I think that's how we end up in such disarray and I think about you know the idea of you know politicians behaving and the amount of mayhem that was caused on my birthday on January 6th um you know to me was so scary and to many people like it was the most frightening thing we had seen when it comes to um you know political upheaval you know in modern times in the United States and I just think if we allow things to keep continuing the way they are then it's just going to be like oh January 6th was just January 6th oh it's already there and it's and it's I think it's kind of too late in a weird way. I don't know how people didn't see January 6th coming. I saw it. Saw it. I mean, yeah, no question. And I'm seeing certain things now. And I'm telling you, if Donald Trump (laughs) is on the ballot, He is going to win by a landslide. All that stuff he said before, biggest, biggest, uh, biggest, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Man, my brain's, my brain works too fast sometimes. But uh, the biggest margin in history, yeah, that's what's going to happen. And I'm not saying it like I wish it. It's just, I don't just listen to people and platforms and points of views that I agree with. I'm not listening for just a whole bunch of reinforcement because I know what I feel and believe. So I don't even really even need that shit reinforced like that. I think it's cool to be aware of other things and try to find common common denominators. And I think more often than not, we don't operate from that place. And if we at least attempted it, and I'm not always there, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, um, you know, like I'm that person because I'm definitely not always there. But um, it's, it's just so strange. 
It's it's really strange. Yeah, it is strange. Yeah. I mean, I think you know this is an ongoing conversation. I mean, because uh, so many other things can be brought up. It's like, okay, so then, if then what? You know, you know, what does that look like for black folks? What does that look like for women? What does that look like for reproductive rights? What does that look like for economic justice? What does that look like for our housing situations and? What does that look like for the wars that are currently happening Mm -hmm. and continuing to happen, you know, in various parts of the world, you know, including uh, countries in Africa, as well as uh, uh, Gaza and and Israel and Ukraine and wherever else there is an uprising that is just not even on our radars because there always are. All of it just sounds so frightening. But at the same time, you know, we also then need to keep our eyes open and and be prepared. So it's like, what does that mean for us in our little corners of the world? I feel like this is going to be a full weird reset. Um, Stuff is bigger than just the politics of it all. Um... Like, I don't know what it means for black people and women and people of color and, you know, the so-called have-nots and um, minorities or whatever. If Trump's in office, the same way I really don't know what it means if Biden is in office or anybody else for the most part. But I believe that you have to start with, you have to start it within your community. And when I, just even within your community, that means like, hey, maybe you just make sure your 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 yard's clean, <laughs> you know, then your street. Um, then you branch out and maybe you find other things that are interesting, you know. Maybe you're interested in music and then you find some community stuff or I don't know. But overall, I see a full reset happening. You know, honestly, I just wanted to bring this back up mostly because I feel as though as a person who works in politics and, Mm -hmm. you know, is inside of a bubble, you know, that sometimes I think other people who are also inside of this this bubble forget that there are people who are completely outside of the bubble and think differently. Mm -hmm. And there's not enough time spent talking to those folks about what it is they think um, or need or want or understand of of the workings of the world or the workings of our political system. And it's those folks who um, this, that 22% of black folks who, you know, are supportive of Trump instead of being flippant, ask why and try to understand it and have and relate to it in a way 
that maybe you could have a deeper conversation. Doesn't mean you're going to change their mind because you're not going to change everyone's mind about anything. But to be so flippant and just the amount of, you know, I guess sort of, um, I don't know, disregard to how folks are relating to him, you know, to me was just like a, a, a big red flag. Like y'all are missing a whole point. Um, and you're missing a whole demographic of people that you should be talking to instead of either making fun of or assuming that they don't exist. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's very, you can, you could vote for Trump and not be a Trump supporter. And I think that people get it mixed up. And then there's this thing where that's part of how Trump runs. He, he even runs on that whole thing. They're making you vote because you're black and you have to vote Democrats. And, you know, you have to vote a Democrat because you're black and, you know, or because you're a minority. And then just like, well, wait a minute, you know, maybe that ain't what that, that's not what I want to do, you know? Um... And for the record, I'm not voting for Trump. You know, I need to. I need to say that. I feel like there's like you. You just really yes. needed me to say that. You know, yeah, there are going to be people who think, man, he he's a I know Trump that. supporter. But it's like that. But there is. But there was this part of me that don't want to say that I'm not voting for Trump. I'm not saying that I'm voting for Biden. That's and I'll say that. I'll say that. I'm not just voting for him. I'm not being forced to do that. And and I don't want to hear that a vote for vote for Biden or not voting for Biden is a vote for that man. All of that we back to that whole thing for me of the scare tactics, the scare tactics, the slavery to make you do this. That's part of the problem. There there are there are Republicans that don't want to vote for Trump. Mm-hmm. They don't want to lose. Yeah. And there's there are Democrats who may not want to vote for Biden, but they also don't want to lose. Exactly. I ain't doing that. But then but what do we win? Well, we've been winning. What have we been winning? You tell me something. You really tell me something to tell tell some kids living in Detroit right now, going to school the way they go to school. Living the way they li- they're living, you tell me why they should vote, and I don't. And I understand. Make your voices heard. All of that. Show me some examples of of what they should do. So now, back to our conversation about parenting. And we're going to end up doing what you were doing anyway. Mm-hmm. That's that's the other thing. I mean, my kids... Learned <clears throat> it from you, Dad. I mean, they don't even have to tell me. I see it, you know? Mm-hmm. And we talk about it. And it's cool, you know? I You know, I wasn't... I wasn't always... I mean, early in their lives, I was definitely 100% the deadbeat dad. I was not that dude that was there and spent a lot of years um, beating myself up about it. 
and not really dealing with it, not knowing how to deal with it, not knowing how to com- confront it in moments of wanting it and attempting to confront it, have any idea that, hey, me just making that phone call or text message or whatever I decided to do would be enough that you just, everything should be cool. But realizing that, you know, now realizing and understanding that it's a journey, it's a process, it's a continuing thing that will be growing, you know, for the rest of our lives together. Um, And I love it. You know, now I've earned it. But, you know, we it's a process. It's a process. The question that I would ask you is, um, why were you a deadbeat dad? And then why was it so hard to make that next step? Like, was it something you was that you were afraid of? Or is it sometimes just that first step of like, realizing yeah i need to say i'm sorry or i need to do x y and z but i don't know how to so then i avoid it i think i well first off i was selfish um and that would be my overall excuse me that would be my overall answer um if i just gave a basic answer after all of the exploration and understanding of understanding and going back and doing some unpacking of my childhood, accepting some things, remembering some things, and then doing a bunch of like, not getting stuck there, but on some like, um, comparison or looking back and relating certain things and seeing the relation to certain things a lot of it was being stuck at seven in some aspect and having to grow up in in another aspect on a whole nother level in order to protect myself and survive to get through you know emotionally um because for the most part i know that i had it better than most of my friends when i think about it you know i had a mother and a father at home i had a stepfather you know so a lot of my friends, when I think about it, most of them, they didn't have a dad at home. That was very normal. You know, and then I understand what happened there. That was crack. <laughs> That's well, what happened. It's a it's a, look what have do you have you ever watched uh Snowfall? I've seen an episode here or there. Watch. But I know I know the premise. That era is the era I grew up. My dad died in 1980. And my dad was getting involved into the drug game. Um, 
before it really be like he died in 80 and that stuff really started getting crazy right after the 80s but most of that started then and a lot of those kids and a lot of my friends parents were the parents that you know um the plants and things like that and then crack happened and a lot of the the dudes that i looked up to in the hood sold drugs then became either crack addicts or went to prison and then my era was the era that sold the drugs to them and then went to prison and then there was my era was the era that wasn't there with the kids either because we were in prison or sold the drugs or was just straight up irresponsible because we didn't deal with the sh- that we were dealing we went through with our mm-hmm. you know there was you know even like we think about with our parents or you know at least my my mom and my parents or my grandparents they at least stayed married you know there was at least some type of like hey you go to work or you do this or you do that now but then that's when you talk about them secrets again, you know. But there was kids over here, a whole nother family over there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wife don't say nothing. If you 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 know, that's where this that's where the secrets happen. You know, I know that my grandfather was an alcoholic and was extremely abusive to my grandmother. And the kids mm-hmm. in a way that I couldn't even imagine. Nightmarish type stuff. And, um, but that, she stayed. Well, no. My grandmother at some point left. And my grandmother left at a time when black women couldn't get credit, couldn't get a house, couldn't go to college. She went mm-hmm. to college. She got a degree. She she got a she got a house, brand new. She went and got cars. She always had her own, and she raised her two oldest daughters to be the same way. So, but they also grew up in a in some crazy abusive shit where. You know, they saw their dad, who, when he wasn't drunk, was a good man. But when he got that liquor in him, and at some point that became all the time, mm-hmm. all hell would break loose. But that's that was their seven. You know what I'm saying? Like, when I talk about that seven, and what seven was what happened around seven for me and the things that I went through, that's what they grew up with. So they had their own challenges and battles and things that they didn't deal with as they was trying to raise us, Mm -hmm. you know? And they got better, and they were better than their parents in some ways, and maybe in some ways they weren't. But, you know what I'm saying? So I do believe that there's this progression 
But in a lot of cases, we have to be honest with ourselves about some, we got to really be honest to have real hurtful conversations and, and having those hurtful conversations and be okay with the outcome. You know what I mean? Like, it's not yeah. going to feel good. I, I think that that's, that's an important, you know, point. And what it makes me think about is, you know, everyone's plays a different character in someone in someone's story. Mm-hmm. And you can no one is a complete villain, mm-hmm. but no one is a complete hero exactly. either. Exactly. And so your grandfather could be a he he could be a lot of things. He can and and be loved by your mom and 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 you know aunts or uncles or whomever in the family, but also be this abusive person who um, does really awful things. And figuring out, I think sometimes it's hard to figure out how to love somebody who you see do terrible things. And mm-hmm. so, because it, it's never at all or nothing, it's never I completely hate them, and I don't. I mean, sometimes it is, but. Usually it's not, you know, I hate somebody and I don't want them in my life anymore. Sometimes it's I love them, but I can't have them in my life mm-hmm. in the same way, especially if they're not, you know, seeing it themselves and wanting to change or any of that. And I think that that causes that compounded generational um, um, pain because you don't know what to do with that. Like, what do you do with somebody you love who does some awful things to someone else that you love or to you? Right. How, how do you how do you fix that? And especially if you can't you can't fix other people if they don't want to be fixed. Um, but to love somebody from afar and then and not like their actions, um, but needing to stay afar to protect yourself. Hey, they they played their part in your journey, you know. Yeah. And it doesn't and that mean could be it, and then it's over. Right. I mean, right. They're definitely a part of the story, good and bad. And even if the bad brings out good, shit, it was definitely a part of your story. That um, is 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 just as the lows are just as important as the highs. You know, actually, in a lot of cases, sometimes those lows are more important, I think. You know, unfortunately. So what kind of father are you now? I think I'm the real father. Um, you know, with uh, with my kids, they know that they can call me. And they know that I'm going to be honest with them. Um, I'm not going to judge. I have a, an opinion. Um, I can be moody, you know, and they know that. I guess that's just who I am, but, um, but they know that I'm going to be honest with them. You know, I'll get that phone call at three in the morning from my now, what, 31-year-old son, 
no, he just turned 30. He'll be 31 this year. Who in who's in LA and he's a uh, videographer and living his dream or living his dream, but in a in a way that he he's enjoying the journey because I do understand I do believe that maybe he didn't realize his path would take him where he is at this moment, but he's enjoying the ride and doing. 10 times better than I was doing at his age. Like, not even, and, and, and even that in itself is, like, amazing to see your kids doing way better than you are or than, than you were at their age and to just see them thriving and then know that, and then them knowing that they can hit you up and ask, you know, for some advice. Say, Dad, I got to make a decision on this, or I'm feeling like this, or, you know, I didn't like when you said this. Let's talk about it, and we could talk about it, you know. I mean, I think that's the part. That's like, that's the living the dream, I think, um, when your kids are doing so much better than you were at that point, um, but also that they do ask for advice. You know, I, I think that that probably makes me, you know, is one of the happiest times when my children are um, thinking enough to ask me my opinion of something and wanting to hear um, what I think. And, and we can just have a conversation about it because parenting adults is a lot different than parenting children so given that space to relay my wisdom and you know even you know getting into you know some of the crap that I had did and mistakes I had made that I wouldn't want them to make and being able to impart that on them and them actually hear it in a way that is not meant to sound preachy or you know do as I say you got to do this sort mm -hmm. of thing but it's a you know here's what I think and and it's just a conversation I think it's you know that makes me happy man that's everything I I tell them often the most important thing to me that I want them to know is that you can always call your dad like you know maybe i maybe i can't come and get you or maybe i can't be right there or maybe i can't bail you out of this one with some money or whatever the case may be but the ultimate thing is i think i want you i i think it's horrible when as you as a kid you just can't call or not even as a kid just as a you should always be able to call your parents. Not even if you on a not even in a way like, oh, I need to call my mama or I need to call, you know, call your daddy or whatever, but just on some like, yo, what's up? Or hey, you've experienced this. Maybe you can give me some advice or um any I don't know. It's just I I want you to always be able to call me. You in trouble. You know I ain't judging you. I'm going to listen, and I'm going to be there for you. And if you're on some bullshit, 
I'm going to tell you you're on some bullshit too and not hesitate to tell you that, but I'm going to still have your back. So let me, let me ask you this then. Um, knowing that it took you a while to catch on to this whole parenting thing, mm-hmm. this whole being a dad thing, are your children, um, did, did they accept you when you decided and when you finally got to the point where you're like, you know, I want to be serious about this and I want to be a good father and I'm going to do X, Y and Z. And, you know, maybe it wasn't a, a speech that you gave to say as such. But when you started to actually, um, you know, invest the time and and, you know, effort and emotional intelligence that it takes to be a good parent. Were they receptive? I mean, well, you're talking about different emotions, you know, different kids, different mothers, different backgrounds, different histories, and they have different feelings, different perceptions of things so um one thing that i had to learn that it wasn't gonna be some cookie cutter thing um and it wasn't about it couldn't be about me and i had to be available when they were ready um and that took some time so no they weren't receptive even when they said they were um or maybe maybe their reception at times wasn't the reception that i had in mind or that i had anticipated you know um and vice versa you know i think that at times their expectations of what they wanted from me, I fell short, you know? Um, And in some of them cases, they never were going to get it and never would, you know? And that's what we have to accept, but that's just part of the journey. Um, But you got to, it's worth it. It's definitely been worth it. Um, Because as I've grown with my, as I've grown with my seeds and notice I said I, I've grown with them. Mm-hmm. I've I've gotten I've become a better person. Um a better just better in general and I learn a lot about myself because you know I see myself in them and I see um I see the things, I see how I've affected them, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we talk about it. You know, at this point, it's like they, they, they're at a point where it's like, Dad, listen, dude, we don't have to, we're good. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, man, I don't, I don't think of you like that anymore. You know, it's, it's like, you know, hey, my bad, I'm calling later than I said it's like dude i already knew you 
they know I'm gonna call. If I say I'm gonna call, I'm calling. Mm-hmm. If I say I'm coming, I'm coming. If I can't come, I'm gonna tell you, you I feel can't like come. You feel like you're still, you feel like you're still making up for lost time or lo- or um, bad behavior. I don't feel like I'm making up for bad behavior, but I don't take being a father for granted. I don't take being their dad for granted. I'm like, I'm proud of being their dad. Um, It's not like I'm just somebody's father. It's like, like, it's a joy. Um, it's an, it's an honor. It's an honor to be their dad and to now be a grandfather. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's some shit that if anything, I wish, I wish I would have caught on sooner, Mm -hmm. but I also understand like that that's like that was just a part of the journey and in that it has helped me become I think it's helped me be a stepfather you know I'm a stepfather now man I don't we don't use the term step but you know I do think that that my experiences growing up how I grew up has helped me be a great husband and stepfather, step-parent, and co-parenting with my daughter's other, my daughter's dad, her real dad, you know? Um, Because I had that experience. I was a stepkid, you know? Um, I've been that father that had to deal with and accept that, you know, other men were around my kids. Um, I've been that man that's dated someone who had kids. From, you know what I mean? So I've been in all of these different roles. And so I think that's helped me to be able to be understanding and very respectful of all of those different perspectives. And then had to learn a new perspective with, you know, my adult kids watching me be a father now, you know, to a kid that I met at three years old who was three and a half years old that's now 12. You know, so there were things, there were moments that they saw me do and be involved in. Now they're adults seeing something and seeing a piece of their dad that they never got a chance to see. And then us having to address that, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we feel like they missed. Yeah. What what is, it was gonna say? What is that? Because I can put a lot of different names on it: jealousy or it's a whole lot. It was like, what the heck? You're gonna you're doing this now? And when I was five, six, seven, and twelve years old, 
where was you at? Exactly. And to have these conversations, like to have these conversations, the conversations that we could have about that or the explanations or how they understand it when we, or I should say how they understood it when maybe we had that conversation four or five years ago is totally different than them having that conversation, especially my oldest kids. Really, no, all of them. Because, you know, and for the record, I have four kids, five total, but four before marriage. And um, their ages are um, now late 20s, early 30s. And the youngest being 12, and that's our, um, you know, that's my daughter by marriage. Yeah, that's my daughter by marriage. So with that being said, talking to them in their early and mid-20s about why I did certain things and them being 30, you know, and having different understandings about life and bills and relationships and people, you know, it's, they have a different understanding of it. So I know that now they understand who <clears throat> their dad was at 30. Maybe they weren't looking at who their dad was at 30 when they were 25. They were looking at them at seven years old watching, you know, they're watching their stepsister wake up at Christmas with the dad. You know, <laughs> that's what they well, saw. And I think there's a thing of uh, it can be difficult for children to see their parents as people, right? As beings. Exactly. They are not. You, you are a parent and you're supposed to know all the things you're supposed to do all the things you're supposed to get it right because you're the parent. You're the parent. And so, you know, I have told my, my children over and over again that, you know, both me and their father, that we are just human beings who are, you know, sometimes going along to get along. We have no idea what we're doing. We have no idea, um, you know, how, to get in and out of certain situations and we just do our best to figure it out. And sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we are short-sighted. Sometimes, you know, our, um, you know, our tempers or our attitudes are crappy because we are just human beings who have emotions and feelings the same way that you do. But, you know, if that, if it shows, you know, on the parent side, you know, Kids can be sometimes very unforgiving in in that space because they're like, well, you should just be doing better. You should know better sort of things, even if they don't use those words to articulate it, that it feels as though there's just this level of disappointment because we've disappointed our children in so many ways because we've we're we're faulty people because we all are mm -hmm. and and that sits with them longer so similarly you know when we talked about how um 
small situations in people's lives, you know, that those memories stay with you for whatever reason. Same way with kids. It's like, my mom yelled at me for X, Y, and Z, and it wasn't fair. And it may not have been fair, but mom might have also been dealing with whatever dad was doing, whatever work was doing, whatever stuff we're carrying around, the baggage from our own parents and what have you. And those things compounded. And in that moment, it triggers something. And now we're, you know, continuing sometimes, I think, a cycle of nonsense. But, um, you know, I think when kids finally understand that their parents are just human beings, like just out here struggling the same way they are, just older and in, you know, somewhat different situations, I think that it allows them a little bit of space for deference. But I think parents got to be human beings and parents have to, you know, talk about the things that they did. I mean, you know, I I believe there's a lot of parents that, you know, hey, they don't want to say that they ever did certain things. They don't want to admit that, hey, maybe I smoked weed at this point in my life or, you know, I had sex maybe a little sooner than I would have liked to have had sex. They don't want to admit these things and be honest. And we don't, we don't humanize ourselves as parents. It's like, especially in the black community, I'm your mama. That's that. Period. In the discussion, it's like, well, no, your mama is a woman. Your dad is a man. Women do certain things. You know what better way to find out about some certain things about sex and dealing with um relationships and they, and with they your had parents. lies before you were born exactly you know hey you know I'll, I'll tell my kids you know and it's i'm not proud of these things i don't tell them these things in a way to brag about it but i tell them real situations that happen with their mothers where maybe i was an asshole you know, like, yeah, I wasn't right when I did this, and this is what I did, you know? It's my way of letting you know, like, yo, you know, even even your dad was an asshole, or, you know, even, you know, things happen. We got through it, you know, but look out for this. Don't fall for that. Remember this. Your, your uncle did that. He's still a good person. Don't mean he's a bad person, but be prepared for certain things, but... We have to use ourselves as, as as examples at times. I I totally believe that. I think that matters, and not just in good, not just in good, in bad, to show a a, a point of reference. Well, I appreciate you, and so I'm going to end this podcast episode because we can obviously talk for a very long time. I know, right? And <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I I appreciate you taking the time to, you know, be on this side of the podcast instead of behind the scenes. And I think it, you know, I think it's this is a really dope episode. So I appreciate you. And uh, I can't wait to see what this sounds like edited. Man, I'm just nervous about editing my own voice. Ooh. <laughs> it should be fun, though. Um, but thank you. I'm honored. Um, this is cool. Maybe eventually we can get a get an episode with... I'd like to do one with Derek and uh, Ramon. 
<laughs> Ramon, the, the, yes. The four of us, oh, that'd be oh, interesting. All my favorite men folk on one podcast at the same time. Woo. That might be a lot. That might be a whole lot. Oh. That would, I don't even know. Yeah, that would be a whole lot. Yeah, that's too we much. Can work, we'll work on that. Look, I've got, look, I'm putting it on a sticky note. Uh-oh. Okay. I'm, you know, put I'm it on a sticky down. note. I'm going to put it on a sticky note. All right. So, all right. I think we're good. All right. That was fun. That was fun. This is Sticky Note Conversations with Erica Washington. I have been the executive director of Make It Work Nevada and Make It Work Nevada Education Fund for almost seven years. We have advocated for social justice issues um, as a reproductive justice organization that has helped hopefully thousands of people over the course of our, our lifetime. But before that, I was a journalist and I loved it. That's where I learned the ins and outs of Las Vegas, where I learned the history and had the opportunity to talk to some amazing people. And as much as I enjoy the work that I do now, I miss journalism. I miss being able to have deep conversations with people. And if anybody knows me, if anybody's ever been to my office, they know that I am a lover of sticky notes. I write everything down on a sticky note. So I create an array of sticky notes on my desk, on my wall. If I have a new idea, put it on a sticky note. Someone where I, I want to meet with, sticky note. Need to remember to pay a parking ticket, write it on a sticky note. As a matter of fact, I still need to actually do that. But over the course um, of the last year, this sticky note has been on my desk to launch this podcast. And now here we are. This will allow me to dive into some more deep conversations with some really interesting people because I wanna have real conversations that were more than just sound bites or regurgitated talking points about fluffy topics. My hope is that each episode feels like old friends catching up, revealing great information, but also humanity, struggle, victory, joy, grief, and possibly a flicker of transcendence. So join me here every Saturday as I pull a new sticky note off my desk and dive into some great conversation. Thanks for listening to Sticky Note Conversations with Erica Washington. Hosted and executively produced by Erica Washington with music, mixing, and editing by Black Gypsy LLC. Special thanks to KUNV 91.5 in Las Vegas. This show is powered by Make It Work Nevada, a project of Tides Advocacy.